Welcome to The Third Rail Entrepreneur, a podcast about enrichment. Enrichment of your mind, your relationships, your body, and ultimately your business via the entrepreneurial path. My name is Alistair MacDonald. Let's get started. I want to talk about something that hopefully nobody's ever spoken to you about, and secondarily, something that will be super valuable. There is a virus that I want to plant in your operating system in the hope that you may be able to catch yourself. This has, may or may not have anything to do with dentistry, but it definitely has something to do with some aspect of your life. This realization was a game changer for me. And I'll tell you a little about that in a second. So there's something in the universe called dark matter. I don't know if anybody's familiar with it. But dark matter is an unusual thing. Do we ever use the term idiopathic in dentistry? We use it all the time? So it's like a catch-all. We have no idea. And dark matter is the physicist's version of that. Like We don't know what it is, but there's something there. It's an unusual thing, first postulated in the early 1920s by a Dutch physicist and later on picked up in 1933 by a guy named Fritz Mack, who was a professor at California Institute of Technology. And the thing about dark matter is that it doesn't participate in the electromagnetic field. That means that it is never going to show up for us to see. Nowhere on the electromagnetic spectrum does dark matter display itself. This means light. It doesn't reflect light it doesn't generate light, doesn't even bend light. We know it by its absence. The only way that we know that dark matter exists, which accounts for as much as 85% of known space. So 85% of known space, 25% of the actual energy in the universe is dark matter. How do we know it? We know it by its effects. We know it by its gravitational pull. So it pulls things together. In fact, some physicists postulate that absent dark matter, this is one of those strange what are called conventionalist methodologies of calculation by Karl Popper, who would say that we know it by what it is not, which is really weird. We know it by what it does in the universe. Some physicists, as I say, would postulate that absent dark matter, entire solar systems would spin out into oblivion and galaxies would collide. It's actually what makes space space but we cannot see it, we can't influence it, we have no idea even what it's composed of. So we know it by what it causes, not by what it looks, feels, sounds, smells, tastes, or can be described like as. So when I was uh, just a young fella, I started my first business when I was 18, and I jumped straight into the safari business. And thanks to good luck and good timing, my business boomed very quickly. And by the time I was 21, I had more employees than I had years of my life. And this was a fantastic business. It was dangerous. It was very well paid. And I got to be in crazy places for weeks at a time. You were always just one snap of duct tape away from a complete disaster. No cell phones, of course, no means of communicating. And so there was this aspect of my life that was always on some sort of a frontier, Things could go wrong at any time. And it was one of the most empowering and vitality-filled periods of my life. I had no idea what was going to happen, and, but I knew that. And it was extremely lucrative business. By the time I was 21, 
I was living like Pablo Escobar. I was in a five-bedroom home with a swimming pool, a tennis court, two acres. I had a full-time maid, a full-time cook, two gardeners, and a fleet of vehicles and people that worked for me. And, of course, I thought I was amazing. You know, I completely overlooked the impact of being in the right spot at the right time. And so through the safari business, I was able to contacted by a man named Paul Theroux, who's now a good friend of mine. I don't know if you know who Paul Theroux is. He's a probably the most famous travel writer in the world. He wrote Mosquito Coast and a number of other famous books. And he was doing an expedition. He was charged with doing an expedition for National Geographic. And so I got this contract with National Geographic. I was 21 years old. There were so many people so significantly more qualified than me to do this. And we did a six-month source-to-sea trip of the Zambezi River. And it was unbelievable, just Paul and I. And intermittently, this strange photographer who would show up for a section and then disappear for a month. And for a short period of it, my then-girlfriend, now wife, joined me for it. And so this was a cover story for National Geographic back in 1995. In fact, as an aside, how's this for a little insight into Paul Theroux? He's written somewhere in the order of 36 different travel books. And in the piece, in the article, six months we spent together, he says, Alice MacDonald, a, a local guide, joined me for this section of the river. So I sent him a fax. He was doing his faxes at the time. And I said, Paul, what is this joined me for this period of the trip? I was like, how about carried, you know? And he writes back, professional travel writer cannot concede value added, cannot make anyone else the hero. And he ended up writing a separate piece and included a lot about our trip together in a book called Fresh Air Fiend. It's a great book, not because it's got me in it. It's really an interesting <laughs> book. It's a good book despite me being in it. And so I got done with this trip, this expedition, and it was a relatively small community. Steve knows it. Alan knows it. Relatively small community. And so word gets out, like, man, do you hear Alice with this National Geographic contract? Blah, blah. And when you get a contract with National Geographic, it's better than as seen on TV. It was absolute, an absolute layup. My safari business was only going to explode because of the, the inf you know, inferred endorsement. That came with it. Some time passed. I then got a contract with Smithsonian, a bunch of museums from France and all these crazy things. Film crews. We went looking for the Vadema tribe up near Kanyemba, the two-toed tribe on the border of Mozambique and Zimbabwe. That was a trip. There's a tribe of people out there with this autosomal deficiency that gives them, they look like, it looks like crows, like ostrich feet. They're these huge. And so we had to go find them because there's stories of them. There's pictures from the 60s, blah, blah, blah. So all these cool things came from it. And about six months later, I sold my business and moved to the United States. And I was standing out front of my dad's business. And I was talking to a girlfriend of a very good friend of mine. And she was saying, I've heard you're going to the States. And I said, yeah. And she looked at me like I was an idiot. She said, why, why would you do that? And I didn't have an answer. I didn't have an answer. But some part of me knew that this conversation was one I wouldn't forget, this experience. You know, everybody's had that. We're like, I don't know what this is, but I know this is going to be a reference point in future. And this is probably that reference point. I couldn't really answer why I had packed up and, and going to take off. So I moved to the United States, and I lied and started working on Wall Street. They were like, well, you know, tell us about your academic career. And I'm like, well. Uh. And so I did that for a period of time, horrific experience, bunch of sharks, just terrible people. I left because I couldn't grow a dorsal fin. I just hated it. Everything was crappy. So I moved out to Boulder, Colorado, and I got into the direct investment advisory and management business. I then stopped doing that. I was in a partnership that didn't go well, but we had a good agreement in place, and that saved me and my then not quite born daughter. It's a big deal. 
doing these things right and approaching them honestly with integrity preserves and protects people's lives. Your contracts that you do with your partners are super important. And as much as our partnership fell apart, our contract didn't. And it saved both all, of, all parties. And I'm really thankful for that. And I wasn't aware of how much that had helped me at the time. So again, learn from my stupidity. This really was more valuable than I even realized at the time. I then moved into the direct investment management business and I partnered again with somebody and we built a significant business very fast. And some of you know, this was during the housing bubble, which I accurately anticipated and forecasted. I've got other stories about that. Housing crisis, market imploded, followed by the financial crisis. The two most profitable times in my life. And the market fell 56%. From October 14th, 2007 until March 9th of 2009, gross global indices fell 56%. My fund was up 46%. It was incredibly profitable for us. If you had $100 million or a million dollars, it turned into 44, 440,000. With us, it jumped to a million 460,000. That's a three times improvement over the index. Unsurprisingly, we got a torrent of people that wanted to work with us after the fact. How did you know this was coming? How did you know? Our asset base exploded 400% in the space of 18 months. Years pass on, and one day I walk into my, we have this, at the time we worked with a bunch of interesting characters, but this particular meeting was with one of J.P. Morgan's great-granddaughters. Had a lot of money, had a lot of money with us. Wonderful lady, and we had a great meeting, and we walked out, and I went and my partner went to her office and I went to mine. I turned around, I walked back in and I slumped down on her chair and I said to her, is this all it's about? She said, what do you mean? I said, just, is this all it's about? You know, we, we turned 25 million into 29 million. Everyone's going to say, oh, what a great job you did. But it's not really going to move the needle. It's not make any difference. It doesn't need this 25 million anyway. She's making 5 million a year from a separate trust that feeds her. It's not going to make any difference. So is this all it's about? And she went kind of ashen-faced, the exact same expression that that lady outside my dad's business had made 18 years earlier. She said, why would you say that? I said, well, it's just a question. Like, is this, I mean, is this all we're doing? And she sat back and cocked her head and looked sideways at me, and she said, this is sabotage. And I knew that our partnership had ended. There is something that's going on in your life that was going on in my life too that I wasn't consciously aware of. And like dark matter, I could only identify it by its opposite. I could only tell by the outcomes. I could only tell by the impact that it had. Incapable as I was of recognizing this dark force, given that we can't identify something, we can't, we can't even name it, how could we possibly value it? Just like dark matter. What is the value of it? I don't know. All I know is if it's not there, everything goes to crap. Experienced, but unspoken. And consequently, unidentified, experienced, but not spoken, never framed off. It cannot be leveraged. This is where this force manifests in your life. It shows up anywhere in your life. It'll show up under daily tasks. It'll show up with your clinical work. Some of you in this place are experiencing this right now. It's going to show up as employee management, personnel, relationships, physical health, hobbies, location, belongings, and friendships. This is where it's showing up. Maybe for you it's showing up in one area. Maybe for you it's showing up in five. When I look back at what it was that compelled me to do these various things, to be able to have the blessed, unbelievably cool experiences that I've had in my life, every one of these was created by this force that I was not aware of. And that force 
is boredom. I was bored. I was bored of doing expeditions. When people looked at me and said, you're crazy, why would you stop doing this? It's so lucrative, it's about to get better. I was bored of managing people's money and turning millions into millions more. I was bored. I got bored of working with crooks on Wall Street, but I was too stupid to realize that that's what it was that I was walking away from. And how does it show up? It shows up with distraction. I was distracted, checked out. I start losing enthusiasm for the thing that's right in front of me, the relationship that you're in, the friendship that you're carrying, the habits that you have. I was bored of the sports I was playing, of the food I was eating. I was impatient, I was lazy, looking for distraction at every turn. This is how it shows up for me. And it's a recurrent theme. Distraction, impatience, laziness, blame, lack of transparency. More than anything, frustration and resentment. But because I can't see the dark matter, I'm resentful to and on those around me. It has its own gravitational force in my life that bends the experience of people I love. And I say, oh, well, this person just does crappy work. Or why do they always make this mistake? Or I'm tired of the same things happening over and over again up in your physical health. How many people here have let their health decline and felt its consequences and then worked their way back? Okay. How many people have fallen out of love with a hobby? A sport? A diet? A job? There is magic on the other side of acknowledging boredom. I was never astute enough to say, you know what? I'm actually bored of this. It's just, oh, you're stupid. I'm bored of doing clinical dentistry. Don't say that. You've worked so hard to get to where you are. Look at what it's done for your family. This would be irresponsible of you. Has anybody heard this? You're bored of the home you live in, the friendships you have, etc., etc. So what can we do? How can we actually formulate some sort of strategy to harness this? Well, we can do it the same way we already do, except we can bring a level of mindfulness to it that will change everything. A level of attention. Now... I can't see it, but I can fence it off a little bit. I just need to identify this area of my life. It's like, actually, I'm pretty tired of this. So I was tired of managing people's monies and looks at computers and screens and stuff all day and then have kind of 50% of my life dealing with the actual humans and the other 50% stuck behind a screen and trying to turn zeros into ones. And so I discovered that I was ready to just throw in the towel and walk away from all of it. We've all experienced that. But I had to catch myself and realize that there was a piece of it that I actually loved. And I was about to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And the piece that I loved was dealing with the actual high-performing clients and entrepreneurs that I had as clients. And I said, great, more of that. So there are pieces inside what we do that we actually love. There are things inside your work that have magic Use it as a teaching mechanism. Pay attention to this. It's signaling something to you. Ignore it at your peril. So how do we engage with it? Personally, my recommendation is to repurpose what it is that you're already learning. How could somebody that used to track lions possibly be qualified to be standing here talking to you today? That's not much of a qualification because I see how people behave when they're scared and they don't know what's dangerous and what's not. I do. I'm a guide. I know what's dangerous. It's not dangerous. This person's soiling themselves over here. No, no, it's okay. Don't worry about that. Worry about this. You can see how people respond. Looking at markets, the global swing of macroeconomies, the cycles of social mood waxing and waning, how everybody suddenly wants to do one thing, just like me. That's how I got qualified for the markets, to talk and advise people about their strategic vision and so forth. So repurposing your knowledge, repurposing your experience. Inside this room, there are, what would you guess, Mark, how many 
how many years of dentistry? 2,500 years of dentistry. If you are one of the people that is carrying that two and a half centuries of experience, that would be a travesty for you to walk away from. We've talked in the past, student, practitioner, master, teacher. You can teach internally, you can teach externally, but your value, you have magic to share. Only if you package what it is that you're good at. Don't overlook the possibility of parallel endeavors. What I mean by this is Chengeta. We talked about it yesterday. Chengeta is a parallel endeavor of mine. It doesn't give me anything except a sense of creativity, contribution, belonging, and so forth. However, I'm able to bring together with Rory my strategic experience back to be able to create and foster a dynamic entrepreneurial guerrilla style operation that's killing it. And it does the same for me. I mentioned at the summit that my th another third rail of mine is theater. I'm terrible at it, but it's fun to get out there and make a fool of yourself. You know, by the way, you're doing it every day too. We all are to someone in some part of our life, or you're going to get bored. It's helpful for me in theatrical experience, as limited as I've had, to be able to talk to my front desk staff about how to interact with people, how to do case presentation. The truth is it's a performance art, the repurposing of our experience. What do we consider when we think about where to deploy this boredom and the magic, the nuggets that you have inside your experience? I would encourage you to not necessarily do something that's going to be expensive. This happens a lot. You know, Mark's talked about it. I've got all these practices. They've been so successful, I'm going to buy a Quiznos. What? <laughs> this, this just increases your risk profile. It doesn't actually change the dynamics for you. I don't think anyone wants to be in the franchise business unless you want to stop being an entrepreneur. Franchise owners are not entrepreneurs. I have a very dear friend who owns a string of fast food things. He calls himself an entrepreneur. He's absolutely full of it. Easy test. I said, great, change your prices. Change your logo. Change your slogan. Change the way you deliver something can't do any of that. So avoid franchises because it's not going to give you what you want, that creativity. So I would encourage you to think about maintaining your risk profile. It's one thing to start side businesses and so forth, but pay attention to the marginal risk that it increases to your practices, to your own well-being. It's very easy to be distracted by shiny objects and the latest hot thing. So you certainly could incur a cost. Chingeta costs me money, but it doesn't, well, it does increase my risk. I should probably have read the slide before I made this point. I, I'm no longer traveling to war zones in, in Mali, but that's why I stopped going. I couldn't go to Mali because I, as much as I care about elephant, to be quite honest, I care about being a dad more. The cross-pollination of all of your strengths. Some here may have heard Mark and I did a podcast about the printing press, Gutenberg. If you haven't listened to that, I just think it's a fascinating story. I may not deliver it particularly well, but it's a fascinating story of the power of cross-pollinatory skill sets. He was a tin worker and a goldsmith and he sold trinkets and then he went to work at a winery and so on and so forth and we end up with the printing press we can use this cross-pollinatory aspect of our experiences to build fascinating things including things that don't exist yet one of the best places to look the stone in your shoe what's bothering you the power of boredom cannot be overstated but like dark matter it is having an effect on your life whether you're conscious of it or not i encourage you to be conscious to pay attention to it. Where are you bored? Who are you bored with? But most importantly, do you allow yourself to get bored? Your mom will not let you get bored with dentistry. Will not. Because she cannot imagine you doing anything else without really undermining your family's well-being, without increasing the risk to her grandchildren. Has anybody experienced this or something similar? They cannot allow it. Do not give away a bigger future to the ignorance of other people's fear. Don't do it. There is magic on this frontier of your boredom, and it is signaling something to you. It is asking more of you and allowing more from you.
and it has, it is the fundamental force that has made my life interesting, at least for me. And I've only just recently figured this out. Now that I have it, now that I'm aware of it, the magic in my life is officially weaponized. It's weaponized. Boredom will change you. It will blow up relationships. It will destroy your business. It will reduce the skill of your clinical work. It will get you sued. It'll get you drunk, depressed, surfing illicit websites. It will do a lot of things. You know the symptoms. You change or it changes you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for being here. Hey, there's only two things that you have in your life, your time and your attention that you've given both to me for these few minutes of today means everything. Cheers.